Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope the Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And the Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash theringer. Hello and welcome to The Pod is Spoken, the Ringer's Survivor Recap Podcast. I'm Riley McTee. I'm your host. Every Thursday, I'll be here on the Ringer Dish feed to recap the latest episode of Survivor. On each pod, I'll be accompanied by a different Ringer staffer. And today, joining me is somebody who is driving the bus here at the Ringer, but nobody maybe knows it. It's Juliette Littman. <laughs> Hi, Riley. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I love Survivor. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really excited for this conversation. Today, we are breaking down episode eight of Winners at War. This was the merge episode, really a, like a crucial uh, pillar episode in every season of Survivor. It ended up with Wendell going home. He was clearly blindsided. So we'll break it all down. Let's get started. We always start with our segment that we call Tribal Council, which is kind of just our instant reactions and discussion of the episode. Let's start with not the boot, but the player who actually came back into the game because this was the very beginning of the episode. Tyson wins the challenge to come back. Juliet, what do you think of Tyson? I'm just really anti-Tyson. I always have been since his first season. I've just he was. I think his first one um, was Token Chains, maybe. Um, and I've always just found his humor really annoying. I actually I liked him more this episode when he was. Uh, pretty genuine and and um, emotional about coming back and if he's able to do it like this was probably the most I've ever liked Tyson but I find his like his humor that he used to like deflect everything just really irritating and I don't know why he's so well liked but you know he's become like a, a fixture of the show so I guess I'm a minority opinion on this one I yeah I really like him and I do think that he's kind of a, a bit of a fan favorite uh, I just think that his like kind of dry wit and humor is really welcome. And one of the things that's really underrated when people talk about who's good at Survivor and who's not is being good at narrating and being good in confessionals because there's a lot of people who are just really bad at it. And I think he's actually really good at it. I always love Tyson confessionals. Yeah, like you can tell like Sarah must be so bad in the confessionals because she's barely on the show. Like you can just tell who's bad at it. (laughs) She's she's interesting. I like Sarah a lot, but I remember on Game Changers, she got a ton of confessionals because she obviously went on to win that season. Yeah, she did. And there, you know, she's fine, but they were like a little bit boring and it was odd that she was getting so many. And I think it clued a lot of people in that she might be the winner or come very close to winning, which ultimately happened. Yeah. When there's somebody who's like not great at confessionals, that's suddenly getting a, a chance to just narrate huge portions of the game, then you sort of know something's up with them. But Tyson's not one of those. If, if he's getting a ton of time, it's like, he's just good at this. It's interesting. Cause he also, I don't, I feel like he's been represented in the beginning, obviously with the poker Alliance, there was a lot of focus on Tyson and Rob, but I don't think he's been such a huge part of the season. Maybe I'm just biased because I don't like him. So I kind of don't pay attention, but I felt like until this week and he just wasn't really um, the big presence that he tends to be. And so I'm just happy that one of like the, basically the vets are back in the game. I don't know if I would have chosen tight. I mean, I would not have chosen Tyson, but for TV purposes, he's probably one of the better options. Like, 
I think Rob was probably number one. And if you're the producers, you have to hope Rob is getting back into it. I think Parvati is probably number two because she's very um, divisive and also like super strategic. And then Tyson's probably number three with then Amber and Yule and who and Kim. I don't know. Kim's still in. Who was the other? Oh, Danny. They're probably, oh, and Ethan. You're probably like, eh, it's fine. None of them are back. It, it's interesting. Like if a Rob had came back, you know, they said that he also bought an idol. So that would have helped him. But I just don't know how long it could have helped him given that he just would have had such a huge target. Parvati, same way. I feel like she could have come back in and been immediately shown the revolving door back to extinction. But Tyson has a chance, I think, to embed himself in the game. You know, he's like an old schooler, but of the old schoolers, he did win his, you know, when he did finally win, it was three seasons in for him. So it came kind of late. So he almost feels a little bit more like a middle schooler to me, which is interesting. Yeah, that that is true. He's like somewhere in the middle who just got adopted by Rob, essentially, from being from uh, the poker playing. But I think he has a lot of potential now. Like I, I have I think that the way the way the rest of the episode unfolded, there's clearly a lot of concern about Jeremy. I think he probably is like the next one with a big target on his back where I feel like Tyson um, because he was humbled by being left out of the like majority in a few episodes ago. I, I think that he's like playing a bit of a defensive game that actually would work well with this group of people. It seems like Jeremy and Sophie are going to be um, targets, I think. Although, you know, they they both have played very well so far. But I, I think you are left now with this group of people that are, are uh, just play differently than Tyson, which I think is going to work in his favor. Yeah, and I think that, you know, they showed him to be right basically about the big threats being going out. He was one of the first people that brought that up way back in the beginning of the season, trying to get Sandra and Tony on his side to, to keep around big targets and go after what Tony would call the hyenas. Um, And so I think Tyson, you know, they've, they've shown him on the show to be like a pretty smart player who has a good read on it. And I think he comes in this time, you know, with more options available to him. And everybody kind of said that at Tribal too. They're like, you know, we're not we're not looking to get Tyson out because the game has changed. Right. I thought also watching the um, challenge that for the people who are on Extinction to get back in the game, I felt like it was just another win for Sandra. Like, it's great to know yourself and just be like, I can't get back into this game. I'm out. Like, I'm so glad she wasn't there. And I feel like she made the right choice. And I, I somehow I feel like even though she didn't actually win, she like left on top somehow. Yeah, I really wanted to see Sandra on the jury because she's either won the game or gone pre-merge in all of her seasons, which means she's never been a jury member. And I think she'd be a great jury member. I would love to see the speech that she would give. But I did not need to see her competing in that challenge. She had a (laughs) 0.0% chance of winning that challenge. So it's fine. And she wouldn't have had an advantage either because she went out at the same time as Parvati. And so there hasn't been a chance for... Parvati or Yule or Sandra if she had stayed to get a fire token. So no chance of coming back. I think Sandra went out on her own terms and I'm fine with it. I am. I'm really surprised Natalie didn't win. I really thought she was going to. Yeah, she uh, I'm surprised she wasn't closer to because it was basically Tyson, Rob, and then Yule was kind of running in third until he dropped. Yeah. Is it because she like just expended so much energy and was on extinction the longest? Like it's kind of inexplicable because she's by far the best athlete. I thought that she would have jumped out to a big lead. She didn't have the peanut butter. It's true. That was (laughs) the difference maker. Clearly. (laughs) I mean, we all (laughs) laughed about it, but Tyson is proven right. That is true. That's a good point. Um, My other question is, I'm just very confused about fire tokens and like the advantages that 
Natalie got while she was on Extinction. Did those? Did I miss it? Did like did those come into play, or is it just sort of like moving on? That's out. So I think what happened is they could buy an advantage for one fire token, and there was a little confusion here because I thought that you'd be able to buy like multiple advantages. Like, oh, if Natalie has four fire tokens, she can buy like four advantages. But it looked like you could only buy one, which was that your string would be above the sand instead of buried in it. And then she used her other three, I and see. Rob used his three to buy an idol because at that point you know there's nothing else to buy um so that's what she had going for her i guess her and rob Uh, okay i think the fire tokens i so i just some background on me i watched the show from like seasons one to 30 and then i took off like 31 to 39 and now i'm back i think the fire tokens i don't really understand and i i think that they do not add to the show except for like an extra five seconds at the end of each episode yeah, they're brand new this season. And so it's, it's, we haven't really seen them yet. I've been kind of more open to fire tokens than I have like Edge of Extinction as a twist. I really don't like Edge of Extinction. I'm kind of intrigued by fire tokens, but I'm not really in or out yet. Um, and this episode sort of kind of pushed me more toward, I think, being out on them because they showed at the episode this new menu that they had for fire tokens uh, for, for people who are in the game. And what was interesting there, I, I was looking at the screenshot of it. You can steal someone's spot on a reward for three tokens, or you can send a personal note to a player on the edge for two tokens. And then after that, it's like beans, rice, a blanket, a tarp, you know, whatever. Um, and the last time you can spend tokens is sundown of day 34, which we think is likely the final six. And I thought these things would be used for like idols and advantages yeah, and big stuff. And so it's like, oh, you can send a note or steal a reward. That's kind of anticlimactic to me. I know. Well, it's funny. The first season that they had um, immunity idols was um, Cook Islands, which you all won partially because he used the immunity idol so well. He also was able to find it. Um, they, they had It was like on Exile Island, and it was very... Did you see that season, Riley, ever? I actually just rewatched this season a few it's weeks so, ago, so I'm really familiar so with all the beats of that season. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good season. And the idol on that season, it had not yet turned into what the idol was, where you yes. had to play it after the votes, but before they were read. You could play it after the votes, and so Yule, Yule was able to just announce to everybody that he had the idol because he could play it at any time. He basically had a super idol. Uh, so it really it was a little overpowered then. Yeah. And so he was able to save people um, after they were voted out, which was which they obviously was like too powerful. So they changed it. I feel like these fire tokens are in a similar spot where they'll probably like rethink them for future seasons, much like they did the immunity idol. But I mean, that obviously that was probably like changed the show most significantly of anything, like introducing immunity idols, essentially. So who knows how fire to- tokens will evolve. Yeah. Immunity idols are like the best twist they've ever introduced by far. We don't even think of it as a twist anymore. I know. It's um, just part of it. <laughs> it's just part of the game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if this is all we can get for fire tokens, if it doesn't change at some point in the future, I'm like, man, did did Sandra really get got because of this to try to send a note to someone on the edge of I extinction know. or something? Ugh. It's a good point, like, like playing out the string because they don't know what the fire tokens are worth. Or would she have made that deal if she had known how like little she'd get in return, essentially? Uh, what I wanted to say before we kind of move on to the main game, we still talk about Edge of Extinction and fire tokens and stuff, is that this challenge was the same challenge that Devin's won two seasons ago. So this was the first time they had Edge of Extinction. It was two seasons ago, then they took it off for a season, and now Edge of Extinction is back. And all of the players who have won the returning challenges from 
edge of extinction or have even gotten close have all been men. And I'm kind of frustrated with this because this challenge, you go through a bunch of obstacles, you get this key, then you navigate this thing. It's a very physical challenge. It requires you to be very athletic and strong. And I really am annoyed that it's not a more endurance-based challenge or a puzzle-based challenge that kind of would weight all players equally. Because I think Natalie could have been really good in this challenge, but it does you know, value a certain kind of player, an athletic, strong, physical player at the expense of other types. And I'm annoyed that, you know, someone like, I don't know, a Parvati or an Amber basically has no shot to come back into the game because this is the way the challenges are. Totally. It seems like it would have been a good time for a good time to bring out the tried and true, hold your arm up until it falls, basically, and the water falls on you. I was just watching Micronesia and that's a that's a challenge that Parvati won on Micronesia. I remember. Granted, they had to convince the one guy to, to drop so that they would vote him out, but she was still in it to the end. And it's like, that's a, that's a challenge that kind of everybody is an equal shot at. Yeah, that's a really good stretch of Survivor history. I mean, I know you just wrote about this, the guide to watching every season, but like the kind of stretch from like seasons 12, which was Cook Islands through like 18 was really good. Yeah, once it sort of figured out, you know, having immunity idols, but not having so many of them so that they still had this big like gravity in the game was really, really good, but there was still time to let everything breathe. Now I feel like it's a little too hectic, although it can, it's still, there've been some great seasons recently. It's true. I'm just glad you like cook islands. I just want to say goodbye to you all. We can move on. I, I love you all. He's like one of my favorite winners, but um, you know, he just doesn't fit in the game anymore. It's okay. You all great job by you. Let's talk about the Wendell boot, which I thought was interestingly edited because they made it seem so much like Adam was sort of this almost no-brainer, easy vote for everybody. And it ended up being Wendell. What do you think really happened here? So I went back and watched the the like kind of scramble between the challenge and tribal a second time because I was like, what did I miss here? So I was like, I was legitimately surprised it was Wendell. And I was just like, did I miss something? And I think that Wendell... I think that probably Sophie was able to more than we saw was able to convince people that Wendell is a threat because of his alliance with Jeremy. And I think that is probably what did him in. And it, so it was kind of like not only getting Wendell out of the game, but also undercutting Jeremy's power because I think people clearly see that he's, he's, um, he's charismatic enough to kind of be the fulcrum of what, on which the tribe rests and also good at challenges. Like he's not, amazing but he is you know he won immunity so he's not bad at them and i think he's just like super likable so taking out wendell really hurt jeremy and wendell together and i i think that's probably what we didn't see and for some reason i don't i don't know why because that's more interesting than once again having adam fretting to the camera for like the third episode of the season yeah i i totally agree i think i saw somebody somewhere on the internet it was like somebody tweeted it or commented it or something was that uh, Jeremy has now won immunity in three different seasons and there's only two other players, Robin. Um, I think it was Andrea who did that. Uh, anyways. Um, so, but he's in a very small group of players that have actually won immunities. So he's a challenge threat. And I thought in Cambodia, he played one of the most impressive winner games we've ever seen. So he's definitely one of these big targets. And yeah, seeing him get all chummy with Wendell, it, I, I thought Sophie she nailed it. She had like such a great read on the situation and she seemed to pull the strings just enough to make sure it was Wendell. Riley, your, your call of Sophie winning is looking better and better each week. I was worried. No, something I said was Michelle. Happen. 
Oh, you I did? said Michelle preseason. I'm big on Sophie now. I think Sophie is a very, very good shot to win. But Michelle was my preseason call. Oh, got it. I thought you said Sophie. I think Sophie has a really good shot to win, too. The only thing Mi- is, as the other really strong players leave, will it just become too obvious that she's like the one to take out, essentially? I will say my Michelle pick is also not looking too bad. <laughs> it's I, looking a little better. Would, would you vote for Michelle, though? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think she's still got some work to do. I mean, the the thing with Sophie is she also might have the opposite problem, which is if she flies so under the radar, people don't realize how good of a game she's played if she gets to the right. end. Right, right, Yeah, the Michelle Wendell thing, I don't really get. So they didn't, they were not in the same season, right? They just dated, met through the Survivor world and they dated outside of the show. That's right, yeah. They seem like legitimately mean to each other, like not like in a way that's not like, because they broke up, but they probably just were always kind of mean to each other. It's a really, it's a really weird dynamic. Yeah, it's really, it's been really weird. I was wondering what your take would be on this Michelle Wendell stuff because I thought it was building towards some big conclusion where Michelle would like stab Wendell in the back or something. And it kind of just goes out with a whimper in this episode. So I'm really confused by it. Me too. This episode when Yule went out, I thought she was going to take out Wendell, which would have been a big move. I actually think that probably would have helped her game overall. But she doesn't, I can't really get a good feel for her. I, I think that she has, she gives a lot of good quotes. So I think we've seen a fair amount of her and she's like willing to talk to the camera in a very like demonstrative way. But I don't really know what her strategy is like, or if she has one. Like if you had to say like, she's playing this kind of game, what would you say it is? I'm at least when it comes to Michelle and Wendell, a full-blown conspiracy theorist that they basically came into the game with a pregame alliance and that they've played up their like bickering and tension to make it not seem like they're some kind of power couple, understanding that power couples always are the first people to get targeted. But I can't explain some of Michelle's confessionals where she was very like, Wendell hurt me. He betrayed my trust. And it was like, okay, but if you're working together, this seems like a lot for that. So it's just been a really... Like, I don't know what story basically the editors were trying to tell with them, because if they were working together all along, which I now believe that wasn't clear for the poverty boot, seems like that was smoke. Um, And if they were at odds with each other, then it doesn't explain why they were also often so nice to each other. Wendell ends up giving her a fire token when he goes home in this episode. It's just been all over the place. And I'm like, I don't know, just kind of dissatisfied with that whole storyline. Yeah, I... If they were working together, though, why wouldn't they tell that to the to the cameras and their confessionals? Like, I think that they would say that. So Right, right. They would say it to the confessionals, but it did seem like, you know, there was like a hint in the Parv boot where Michelle was like, you know, I want to work with Parv, but if she's going, let me make this work in my favor. And I think that her and Wendell basically worked it out that Michelle would write down Wendell's name so that Parvati would give her fire tokens to Michelle. And that's why Michelle then gives one to Wendell because it was all part of the plan. Oh, that's I the see. only way I can explain that because otherwise I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, what was she like the first time she played? Is she actually good at strategy? So the first time she played, she was much more of a kind of under the radar social player. She actually had a really weird game where she never went to a pre-merge tribal. She only mm. went once the merge happened. Yeah, so she didn't, it was interesting. And she was like the big social player on her season. And then on her season was Aubrey, who was this big strategic player. They both ended up at the end. Kind of the fans, I think, really wanted Aubrey. I really wanted Aubrey. I was a big Aubrey fan. 
Um, and that's why Michelle has been on this season. Like my win was so controversial. People say I didn't deserve to win. I didn't play the best game on my season. And so her story this season has kind of been about her proving that she did deserve right. to win her season. And I think that she was a good player on her season. I don't think that she's one of these winners where you're like, huh, how did that happen? Like she's a good player. I think Aubrey was a really great player who's playing from the bottom at all times, basically on her season. Sure. Very impressively moved along. But, um, you know, Michelle was not this strategic until this season. She's playing more strategically now. I don't even think of her as being that great of a strategist, though, because I can't even I can't really suss out what her strategy is, except to make it seem to the outside world like she has no no connection to Wendell, but they were still cooperating. Essentially, I thought I I just found I find her really like mystifying, and also I don't really find her that interesting. I would have preferred more insight into their relationship, and um. I, but but obviously, you know, either that wasn't shown or it just didn't happen. But I I don't think that she is playing. I, I'd be bummed if she won. I wouldn't I wouldn't feel like she was playing a game worthy of it when there's so much strategy happening. Like, I think, you know, Denise um, telling everyone like her big move against Sandra, like she's trying to like, you know, kind of be her own hype woman. But I think she only on one episode or one move alone has like a way stronger case than Michelle. Yeah, I think that. So I think that Michelle got most of the credit for the Ethan vote, basically, which left kind of Adam and Rob in the dark, which I thought was pretty impressive. Since then, it's been a little more under the radar, unclear if she's kind of, you know, the one pulling the strings or just going along with the plan or whatever. Um, But I don't know. I find something compelling about the person who's dealing with this sort of imposter syndrome trying to prove themselves like I've kind of enjoyed that stuff. I enjoyed her interactions with Rob when they were on the same tribe. Yeah, so. that was good. That was good. Um, who do you think voted for Adam? Nick and Wendell? C- yeah, CBS puts it up on YouTube after oh, because you do? don't see the votes anymore. So it it was Michelle. That. She she voted for Adam and then Nick and Wendell voted for Adam. So it was their three. Jeremy went along with the group. Everybody else went along with the group. I thought he Jeremy did a really good job in making the case against Wendell, essentially, like I, I without exposing himself too much. But when he was trying to get people to vote um, for Nick or Adam, he was making it. He I thought he was pretty compelling. He's like a really he's very good at this game. I would be very afraid of Jeremy. I think he made the right move to not stir the pot here because my my mind was running and I'm like, OK, you could probably engineer like a five four, three vote where you don't even need the majority of votes on Nick. You can get a plurality and you can just muddy the waters enough with these other seven players. Um, but that that's the type of vote that would have just shaken everything up and probably put you in a worse position anyways. I think him just going with the flow, you know, with the tide, as they were saying this episode, is probably the right move. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. I, I really like Jeremy. He's my favorite of those remaining. But I feel like it's going to be a really different game now. Like, obviously, it's post-merge and individual. But more than that, the apps, the, the lack of um, like old school players is like kind of a bummer. I was hoping there'd be more of a clash or cross generation collaboration. Uh, I want to talk about so who are like kind of the big targets because previously it was a lot of the old school players. Um, so I think I would say Jeremy is one, as we're saying. Uh, Tyson is kind of the the only old school guy left in the game is one. And then we had Ben in this episode also shout out Tony, which I think is a no brainer kind of big threat player and himself, Ben, which I don't, I don't <laughs> view Ben as a big threat. I know you're probably not familiar with this season, but he's not the most um, strategic player. He's really like, a, he was kind of a big 
Uh, I, he, he found a bunch of idols on his season. He won some immunities. He was kind of like a physical player, and he might be a pretty good social player, but I don't view him as like the big threat. Is there anyone else you think is a big threat that's left? I think Sophie. I think she's a really big threat. I, I don't know if she has a target in the same way. She's like got the target on her back, but I think she's a really big threat. I think her and Jeremy are, are the two that I'd be the most afraid of because she's being really strategic. And I think she seems like pretty well liked, if not like universally loved. But I, I think that she's just pulling a lot of strings so that if she can make it to final tribal, she has a really good case to lay out. Because she's like, a, she's been a part of several big decisions and also a part of winning immunity. Yeah, she is so, she's so under the radar though. But I'm not like, I'm not surprised that she's under the radar because she came into the season under the radar for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, the players who I'm surprised don't get shouted out as big threats are Sarah, who I think on on Game Changers played a phenomenally impressive season. And then Kim, who a lot of people will say played maybe the best single season of Survivor ever when she won her season. Um, so I don't know. It was odd that Ben like basically threw out the name of four literally physically big guys. It's like, that's not what, it, what we mean by big threat. Um, there are a couple of other players here that I think should probably be getting shout outs or at least be targeted or something. Ben is, ben is someone who I would absolutely want to bring to the final with me. Cause I'd be like, there's no way he's winning. I know he's kind of, I, I, you know what I do enjoy though is Ben and Adam who I both think have no chance of winning at this point. Kind of like them going at each other and they sort of have an alliance, but they sort of seem to be so annoyed by each other. It's kind of great. Yeah, I, I, it is true. I, I like the sort of, they're also kind of similar to me. So I like that they probably don't acknowledge that, but that's one of the reasons they're disliking. They're disliking each other. Who like Riley right now, who would you want to have? along with you for final tribal if you like as a strategic i know i can beat them and also would you go for the noble this person deserves it or would you bring someone you know you could beat no i'm i'm 100 percent bringing people who i know i can beat or i think i can me beat. too um me too. <laughs> yeah it, it's all it, i would be all game um so i would probably take adam who i think you know it, We've had multiple people say, oh, he's a snake. You can't trust him, whatever. Um, He's kind of been painted in the edit as sort of a little bit of a clown. So he's an easy one for me to pick. And then, yeah, I think I might... Ben would be another good one. Um, I think it's it's Adam, Ben, and Nick. The three three, like sort of vanilla guys. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, too, of people who are not good at making their case at final tribal council. Obviously all these players have actually won a final tribal council. So none of them are that bad. Um, But yeah, I don't know if like Ben is the most eloquent speaker. I, you know, I, so I'm kind of thinking about that a little bit too. I wouldn't want to be sitting next to somebody who I think is like really well-spoken and smart. Yeah. Which is another reason to like not want to be with Jeremy, Sophie. I think Tony he does, he has his own language that people find really persuasive. So like, I, I think those three are the biggest threats right now. Tony, I think is one of the smartest people out there. He is, he, every season he's had his pulse on the game. Well, except for game changers where he went home super early, but he's very, very smart. He doesn't always sound like it. He, you know, he just doesn't talk the way that we stereotypically think a smart person does, but he is on it. He has an amazing sense to, to like of being himself while also convincing everyone to that he's, you know, like fun or whatever. His his personality is like so unique and this game is really well suited to it. I love I love his game this season especially cuz like on Kagayan he was just running around everywhere and and It was very hectic. <laughs> 
<laughs> very hectic. Uh, and this season, he's been much more reserved. I think he's learned a lot. And I just love his game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There, at first, I was like, they should just vote him out early. He's so annoying. But now I've come to really like him. And I can see we're having a character who's who's also like not mean or not like one of the typical villains around camp is, pr- is probably really fun. I think one thing that is un- like not discussed enough is the type of people that you keep around just because like they keep things interesting and you'd be sad if they were gone. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think like on this season too, it's so important to have a winner like Tony because so many of the winners can be kind of more vanilla personalities. And every season, you know, if it's a newbie season, they'll cast like some weirdos or just people with big, big personalities. And Tony is one of the winners that we have who does have a really big personality. So it's so important that he won his season and basically had the opportunity to be on this season because there's a world in which an all winner season could actually be really boring because you just get some people who aren't that interested. Thing. Totally. And like the smart younger players taking out all the old older personalities, you know? But that's another that's another big case for Tyson is I think they'll like enjoy having him around. Yeah, oh yeah. Tyson seems like he makes friends very easily. Totally. Um I also want to talk about Denise a little bit because we've talked sure. about threat levels so much and she kind of, you know, she has to go and, st- and tell the story about how she got rid of Sandra. You know, there's no way around it. And so she gets this Queen Slayer label. And I really wonder if that raises her threat level too much because we had a bunch of people who are like, man, you know, Denise is playing the game. She's got a resume. She's someone you would not want to sit next to at the end. She's the Jamie Lannister of uh, Survivor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she really is. Um, If I were Denise, I would have engineered a situation in which someone else had to tell the story. Like I would have wanted Jeremy or Kim to tell the story instead of her. Like that's best case scenario, right? Like you want everyone to know what you accomplished without having to boast about it. It was kind of endearing from Denise because she's so um, humble and low key anyway. But I, I think it's a, it's a bad beat that she was the one to tell her own story. You want someone else to do that in that situation. I think I was also really impressed with... Uh when Jeremy comes to her and is like, what about Adam? And she's like, well, I would be the ripple effect because I'm aligned with Adam. It doesn't matter. I'm smooth. It's good. I'm like, she's actually playing a really impressive kind of cutthroat game that I was not expecting at all. Yeah, I know. It really is not what I was expecting from her, as you said. And she seems like she's just picking the moments to strike. Like she's not constantly game playing, but she's finding the right moments to make herself have an impact. And I think she, I think she'll do well with individual immunity. Obviously she's a pretty good athlete and I, I just don't know if she has the connections and like the enough of a resume. Like I think the one move is a really big deal, but I think for that to come pre merge, like lessens its value because not as many people are privy to it, particularly without Sandra on the jury. Yeah. That's actually a really good point that Sandra is on the jury that I or not on the jury that I hadn't really considered. I think with Denise, she might be correctly reading that after having made that move, she needs to just kind of cool down for a couple of tribals. And then maybe she can make another big move and get herself back into the conversation. But right now her threat level is kind of high. Maybe she can work on lowering that and later in the game, kind of make another big push for her resume. No one seems that nervous about her though. Well, there was uh, you know, Wendell and uh, Jeremy kind of threw, threw her out there, but That's true. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's she's not she's definitely not like one of the top like three or four people that uh, you know is being gunned for at this point. I think in general, older women on this show like people just don't take them seriously. Like they just don't get the same level of respect. I mean, it's different how usually a woman of color is like voted out first. Like that's like 
obviously, or it's just like a huge problem with Survivor. That happens a lot. I mean, it even happened this season. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, there, there is like a, re- a weird, I like think sexism and ageism that goes into it where it's funny because like when the show first started at the very beginning, Elizabeth Hasselbeck was really close with one of her tribe mates who was like an older guy. I think his name was Roger, if I recall correctly. I can't remember though. And that was like before people had all these complicated feelings about Elizabeth Hasselbeck and she was just like the woman who designed sneakers on Survivor. And that was season two. And um, and I think that the one thing that has never really been broached and, and there aren't that many of them on it anymore is like the older players like just don't fare well because people just don't really take them seriously. It's like a, it's like a microcosm of ageism. And I think Denise, who's obviously in great shape and is pretty powerful in the game and everything, she just is not really given the same, at least by me, I guess, the same kind of credit. Yeah, you missed. So last season, there was an older woman, Janet, who ended up going really far and playing a a, a pretty good game, but it was like kind of a low-key game. And I sort of, I was rooting for her and I think a lot of people were rooting for her, but she didn't quite ever really get the same credit that some other players get. And it's totally a, a theme in Survivor that there are a lot of stereotypes and a lot of basically casting archetypes too, where they'll sort of like a lot of times the older woman gets cast as just like the mom or whatever, and isn't somebody from the outset that's taken as seriously. So it can be, yeah, sometimes disappointing like that. I don't know how Denise will navigate that this season. I mean, it is a little bit of an older cast than they've had before, but it is as true. we've seen all, all the older players though have also gotten the boot. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't mean to suggest like some like insidious ageist bias, but I, I think one of the reasons Survivor is such a fascinating game is because you see people's biases come out without them even realizing it. And it, it yeah, may totally. keep happen. They keep happening every season. And that's, that's a pretty consistent one. Like I can't think of a lot of old winners off the top of my head. And by old, I mean like over 50, not even that old. <laughs> there's, there's Bob Crowley, who is like the oldest. I, I want to say he was in his fifties when he won. And, but the majority have been in their 20s or 30s, like the vast majority, like even way more than they cast. Obviously, they cast toward that age range too. But um, I mean, there's definitely like some trends about who does well in Survivor and what type of person that are not always so great. And yeah, it's a real like explicit example of what we would call implicit bias, basically. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And like you think about, remember the season when like everyone was just obsessed with JT and like just loved him so much? It's hard to yeah. imagine that happening with um, any woman on the show, let, let alone an older woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I don't think that's ever really happened with an older woman in that way. Yeah. Um, it's, just, it's interesting. I remember one. There was. I remember reading an interview once with Sandra where she talked about how on her first season, Pearl Islands. I think she was in her twenties, but she. I think she was already a mom, or she was at least already married. And I think it was she was married and she was like that is she was basically broke way out of their casting archetypes because they would never cast like a younger woman who was already married at that point. And that allowed her to play like kind of a different game and like a weirder game. But yeah, I mean, that's always been a thing is the way they they cast to certain types of people. Yeah, I think Sanders success is like also a great testament to her because it defies so many of the trends of Survivor, which is like one of the reasons why she's so amazing and so fun to root for. Yeah, she is very... For being a two-time winner and such an icon, she's also a lot unlike so many other winners and and so many other icons. Absolutely one of one. Support Sandra. I mean, I've never been a huge Sandra super fan. Yeah, the queen. But I, I really like appreciate and support her. 
Shout out to her. <laughs> um, let's let's talk our archetype breakdown. Move on to our next segment here. This is where we will talk about not these casting archetypes, but kind of strategic archetypes that you can follow. And today I wanted to focus on the backseat driver. This comes from this Jeremy confessional right after the immunity challenge, which we can play here. When you have this necklace, you have power. So my plan is to go after Nick, but I don't want to be the one that's looked at as the boss. Don't get me wrong. I want to drive this thing, but I don't want everybody else to know that I'm driving this thing. This is a player who's kind of calling the shots or maybe more pulling the strings, but no one really knows it, or at least only a few people know it and no one's really cued in and they're not a threat level. And the goal kind of of Jeremy's game here is to basically control the votes without being the big threat or the big target. Um, And if you're good at it, you know, you can get to the end, you can have power in the game. Um, If you're too good at it, you might not have the resume Or if you're not good enough at it, people will eventually sniff out that you're in control and you'll become a threat and you'll get voted out. And the player I really want to talk about here, it's not actually Jeremy because he doesn't really do this effectively in this episode. In fact, he's kind of ineffective because people do realize he's a threat. It's Sophie. Sophie does this in this episode. So let's break down her game a little bit. You know, we've done it some, but she's just been so impressive to me all season long. I think Sophie is playing the best game out there and this episode was a banner episode for her. I was worried something was going to happen to her when she or like she was going to be out when she was shivering so badly during the immunity challenge. Uh, how did she get her sweater? Did they just bring all their clothes with them to these challenges? Yeah, I wonder if they might. I mean, I, I don't know, but it was lucky that she had it there. I mean, I I, it looked brutal. <laughs> I know. I would not do well. She's like, I would just be so uh, uncomfortable and I would just be like, I quit. I'm out. Um, what do you think has been her biggest move so far? I actually think that this might have been her biggest move. Um, so she has, Wendell actually is the only person who's really thrown her name out almost at all this season. And then she kind of lays the groundwork to get Wendell out. I mean, she didn't know that Wendell threw her name out, but the fact that she got got someone like him out shows that she kind of clued in that she couldn't really work with Wendell and he was a threat and she was able to pull the strings. And so I have an audio clip from her where she just lays out the whole game and I think it's so impressive the way that she has her ear to the ground. My sense of what's happening is that a bunch of the big guys, Jeremy, Tony, Tyson, and Ben, all got together and said, maybe Wendell, maybe Nick, but a lot of power in this tribe is coming from Jeremy. And I think Wendell is Jeremy's man. Of all the players so far, we've had some players like Tony and Tyson and others who I think see parts of the game, but no one has really laid it out as well like this. And so, so far, I think that Sophie just has a better read on everybody than anyone else has in this game. And I just find her so well positioned. I feel like her her best move sneakily and I don't know if you can call this a move, but I think her tribe winning immunity when they were down to four of them and therefore protecting that group of four from going to tribal at that moment. And that's when they won the peanut butter and jelly, um, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, was. Was huge, like absolutely huge. Not having to go from four to three makes, I think, makes a really big difference at this point. And it would have exposed her at least to that small group in a way that she then got to avoid and got to be the hero because I believe she solved the puzzle for them to win that challenge and like had a really good performance. So I, I think that actually her ability pre-merge to essentially avoid any major confrontations 
and only see elimination, um, like the like you know, even if just one last time, as it makes a really big difference for where she is now. Yeah, she's a way better challenge beast than anyone gives her credit for. Yeah, and and she, I mean, she's obviously really smart. She's a doctor, um, and good at puzzles. But I I think that being like a kind of strategic, but not a particular, not like a lightning rod pre-merge is really important. And if Wendell had like been a little bit less of a shit talker and like taken it down a notch, like maybe he could have gotten there as well. I mean, that's not who he is. And that's one of the reasons why he's good TV and that's cool. But I think that kind of thing that she didn't do and wasn't like unleashing her major moves early on is going to help her as they go on further. The other thing that I I think we've kind of almost forgotten about because it hasn't been mentioned in a few episodes is that she has an idol. She found one. Sarah knows about it. Um, And so she has a chance to make a big move when she needs to, which I think she will need to buff up her resume a little bit because I don't know if everybody really realizes just how much power she has in the game right now, but she has a chance to do that. Totally. Yeah, I I keep forgetting she has it. Because she hasn't needed to come close to using it. Right. She hasn't come close to needing it, which is an example of having power. Her having Adam kind of under her wing, I think, is really smart, too, because Adam has nowhere else to go. No one trusts him. So, And maybe there will come a time where Sophie's like, look, we got to get rid of Adam. I can't trust him either. But right now, it's like, hey, you at least got somebody. Everybody wants to get out before they get out you and who is loyal to you, who's an extra vote for you. I think it's like actually a good person for her to be aligned with. Yeah, totally. It's it's basically having another vote in her pocket. So I guess I would say, you know, she's kind of our backseat driver right now, pulling the strings. No one really knows. The only person who seemed to have any inkling at all went home in this episode. So I feel great about her. You know, there were some people who were like, oh, maybe it's not so good because she called out Yule as being her nerd shield. And it's like, well, if Yule's gone, now she doesn't have the nerd shield. I don't think it matters. She's so under the radar. I agree. Totally. And yeah, no one one seems that worried about her. That would have been a good time to take her out last night. Tony started listening under the radar hyenas or whatever, and he forgot to mention her. And she was the player that Tyson, when Tyson was like, oh, let me talk about all these under the radar players, he couldn't remember her name. So she's just like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm like so impressed at how everybody has forgotten about Sophie. And we're here watching on TV and we're just like, man, Sophie's a master right now. Maybe she's getting a winner's edit. It's possible. I think it. Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as the edit goes, I'm not a huge um, edit reader person. I do look at it a little, but... She's definitely up there as far as best edit so far. Yeah. Shout out um, to Sophie. Shout outs to Sophie. Great game. Uh, let's also do our superlatives here. We can kind of run through these because I think we've talked about sure. some of them, but we can start with our best move of the game. My best move was Sophie and her ability to swing the vote. I also wanted to shout out Jeremy because I think he made the right move of just playing like laying low this episode it wasn't the best episode for him, but he could have dug himself into a lot more shit than he ultimately ended up being in. So I actually was kind of impressed with him. Uh, did you have anybody who you wanted to highlight? Um, I'm going to go with Jeremy as well. I, I I totally agree. I think that trying that he did a good job of playing honorably in a way where he was trying to protect Wendell without exposing himself. And that's really hard to do. I totally agree with that. I think let's just move right along to worst move. Who do you think made the worst move in this episode? Worst move of the episode. I'm going to go with Michelle. I think that Michelle needed to be more aggressive in building new alliances. If she um, was being true to what she said in the confessionals of like not of like not being able, she is she not being able to trust Wendell. She should have done should have been more aggressive in finding new people to align with. And clearly, no one trusts her because she was not part of the 
um, majority. So I think Michelle is now in trouble. Yeah, it's her and Nick on the bottom. I was very surprised that after she's gotten such a big edit in the pre-merge, she basically got almost nothing in this episode. She was almost invisible. Um, And so I just don't know how much she was trying to work with people outside of her Nick Wendell alliance or just what she was doing in this episode. It was very confusing. Yeah, I have no idea either. This is where we need longer episodes so we can check in on more people. I just, <laughs> I feel like this every episode. I'm like, well, but wait, you didn't show us what they were doing. And obviously they're trying to give us a narrative and they don't want to make it too muddy. But I don't know, man. I just want more and more of it. Do they put Ponderosa online now? They used to. Do they still do that? Well, there's no Ponderosa this season. It's all the edge. So, but what about the people who are on the jury? Um, they do put clips online. I was actually watching them before we went here. They, they'll put, Sometimes like the tree mail clips online, like they still do tree mail, never makes it into the episode now anymore. They did put a clip of the people on the edge coming back after they'd lost the challenge and kind of being mm. bummed. And they've got 17 days before their next challenge to come back in, which sounds miserable, like two and a half weeks out there. Um, so some of those clips help fill for me some of the void that is in like modern survivor where it's so hectic that you kind of lose all these quiet scenes. They tend to put some of those online. Wait, Um, so the jury people are back on extinction. Yeah, they'll stay there. They'll stay there and then they'll have a chance to come back in basically in the finale episode. They'll be able to come back in. Oh my God. I didn't realize that. I thought they were like, there's no chance for them. No, no. Okay. So yeah, like two (laughs) seasons ago on the edge of extinction season, the guy who got voted out third, his name is Chris. He lost the first challenge to come back in. Okay, no big deal. You know, only one person can win. And then he won the second challenge to come back in. And he basically played so hard in only the finale episode that he ended up winning the entire game. And it's oh my God. massively controversial. I hate it. I can't believe that they would bring the twist back because I just feel like if the per- if the guy who played only 13 total days wins the game, then that is a broken game mechanic and you just need to get rid of it. So that that, on, this is um, why I'm so hostile to the edge of extinction. <laughs> something similar happened on Top Chef a few years ago where they have Last Chance Kitchen where you when you get voted when you get voted off, you go to Last Chance Kitchen and then you wait for the next person to be voted off and you go head to head and whoever wins the head to head matchups keeps going and then they get a chance to come back in. And then when they first introduced Last Chance Kitchen, the winner of Last Chance Kitchen then won the whole season and it was controversial. Interesting. I, so I thought that like this Parvati, Rob, Amber group were you all they were all like out completely. I see yeah. they can come back. Crazy. Yeah. I didn't know. The, the, and we're going to still be checking in on them and who knows how they can oh, impact the game from here on out. Um, you know, Wonderful. What are, what are, that makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, at least we'll get to see them on our screen. I mean, granted, they're yeah. going to be miserable, but you know. It's hilarious. Okay, um, great. I'm so, I'm so happy to hear it. <laughs> I'll say my worst move was Adam, I felt like was very close to blowing up his game. Granted, that sort of is his game that's sort of what he did on his winning season and he's just such a paranoid weird player that i think he's he's played himself into a position on this season where it's not possible for him to sit next to two kind of lackluster people on the final three in this season and i can't see any way in which he wins it's like if he even if he makes it to the final three i just i i don't see him getting even like a single vote no one likes him I'm, yeah, very unimpressed with his game on this season. (laughs) I totally agree. He's got no chance. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) 
I do like him. I mean, I you know, I don't want to like trash him or anything. I just feel like he hasn't played the best game. Uh, let's talk about our front runners to win, then we can wrap up. So, is there anybody who you think is in a particularly good position, or maybe jumped up your kind of like rankings this episode? I think Tyson. I'm going to go with Tyson, who I never really liked until now, and I I still don't like particularly like him, but I found I found him being genuine instead of his usual sarcastic self pretty moving and maybe it's also just like the climate we're living in where i like appreciate people being genuine right now it just it hit right for me i think my person is tyson too or well i was gonna say sophie but tyson's more interesting to talk about so let's talk about him a little bit as far as people, <laughs> we, talked people about, who, we talked about sophie a lot too <laughs> we've talked about her too much uh, we know why sophie is a front runner to win tyson is interesting to me if you're if you are one of those people who read the edit he's gotten a lot of really good personal content where he's talked about his family he's talked about why he's out there and that's the kind of stuff that they often give to a winner and as you can see not every player out there gets that stuff sophie has not had that kind of content in her edit yet so the fact you know he won his way back in and I don't, wouldn't love the idea of somebody who got voted out winning again, but it's definitely he's one of the top contenders for me, too. He wasn't out for that long. I feel like also it would be different if it was like Natalie was doing her own thing and then she came back and she won. But he he was in the mix for a pretty long time, or at least the editing made it feel that way. And he still has to play a lot of game. You know, he has to play basically the whole post merge. I mean, if he won, I'm I'm like oh, like an. Antonin Scalia style, like pure <laughs> construct, you know, traditionalist when it comes to this. I'm like, if you're voted out, you're out. That's it. That's just like my perspective on the game. But if it's Tyson, that's a that's a big difference from Chris from Edge of Extinction, where it's like, okay, Tyson still has to play the entire post merge. He still has to get through a bunch of tribals. He still has to navigate a ton of the game. That'd be fine if he won. We'll see how it happens. Um, yeah, I I would be okay with him doing it for sure. I mean, like I I I didn't used to feel this way, but now I do. You know, I'm, I'm glad I, that we, I, I'm capable of change. It's so exciting. <laughs> we've turned you around on Tyson in, in one episode yeah. of Survivor and one episode of this podcast. Yeah, Riley, you're so powerful. <laughs> All right. I think that's a good note to wrap it up. Juliet, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having me, Riley. This was really fun. And um, I will keep listening throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll have you back on again. We'll see how many episodes of the show we get. But Please uh, do. All right, that's all the time we have. Thank you for listening to The Pod Is Spoken. I'm Riley McAtee. That's Juliet Littman. Steve Allman is our producer. We'll be back here next Thursday, and we'll see you then. Bye.